Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Ali Reza Najafian, who's a fifth-year resident at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. Reza is originally from Isfahan, Iran, and he completed medical school at the Isfahan University of Medical Sciences. He's interested in general reconstruction, cosmetic surgery, and gender surgery. Reza, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So I'd love to get started by hearing kind of a broad overview about your program. So OHSU Plastic Surgery Program is one of the integrated programs that basically covers the majority of plastic surgery fields that you can imagine. Our program currently has 15 residents and nine faculties. 12 of these 15 plus nine are female surgeons. This is a a division of plastic surgery of Department of General Surgery at OHSU. And I think that's good to start with. I'm, I'm happy to answer any more specific questions. So can you tell me a bit about how the plastics experience is spread out over the first three years? So over the first three years, uh, so let's back up a little bit. Um, I did not do the traditional way of plastic surgery at OHSU. So I did two years of general surgery at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. And I moved here as a third year. So I did not do my first two years of general surgery or first two years of plastic surgery residency at OHSU. But overall, the first three years is a combo of uh, general surgery and plastic surgery. And beginning of the fourth year, it's completely plastic surgery. So the first year, interns basically do uh, four months of plastic surgery and the rest of it is is, uh, general surgery. And then they progress through the first to the third year. The amount of plastic increases and the amount of general surgery decreases. And as a fourth year, you you specifically just do plastic surgery throughout your residency till the end of the sixth year. Do you know how many months you're on plastics in your second and your third year? So again, my path was a little unconventional because even as a third year, I did less general surgery because I had done two full years of general surgery. But as a second year, um, I think you probably do about like five months of plastics plus minus. And as a third year, you do around like seven months of plastic surgery. Some of these rotations are burn surgery, which uh, kind of correlates with plastic surgery. We still count them as general surgery. And um, also as a third year, you rotate with uh, oromaxiofacial surgery, OMFS, for a month. And that's something, you know, not plastic surgery, not general surgery. So that's an, an extra experience. You can just work with the um, OMFS team. In your experience, what's the relationship like between the plastic surgery division and the residents and the general surgery department? It's really good because we're still engaged even if you're not on on general surgery rotations you know we get consults because they they run the trauma bay and you know they get facial trauma hand trauma and we take care of patients with compartment syndromes or we do a lot of reconstruction abdominal wall reconstructions 
a lot of you know shared cases together and we're still you know basically one department we have every few months we have a, a departmental m&m so we also present some of the cases so the relationship is pretty close but at the same time we run our our own division in a way that plastic surgery training needs to be and what are some of the different sites that you rotate through so when you do your general surgery, there are multiple sites that you, you rotate through. You go to Manual Hospital, you go to Kaiser Hospital, and also VA and OHSU. As a plastic surgery residency, we mainly have all our rotations on the same campus. So we have OHSU, Dornbaker Hospital, which is the children's hospital, is attached to OHSU in the same place. And VA is just across a bridge on the same campus. So you don't need to like drive from a campus to another one. It's, it's all at the same place. One of the unique things about OHSU is that we have an aerial tram. So it's like a gandolo. You get on, go up the hill and go down the hill. We have some day patient surgeries, overnight stay units and clinics down at the waterfront campus, which you get on the tram and it's like a three, four minutes commute down the, the hill. But basically it's as a plastic surgery program, all our operations and patients are on one campus. As you mentioned, it's totally integrated. So there's no independent residents, correct? There are no independent residents, but I joined in the middle of the program because OHSU plastic surgery residency expanded. It was not because of a drop-off. It, it's just because the program expanded. It used to be only two residents every year. Now it's two and three alternatively every other year. So one year we take two, another year we take three. And when I joined the program, they wanted to add another third-year resident. So they, they were interviewing for a new position. So I got that interview and got that position. but. Yes, it's not a fellowship, but we have fellowships for hand surgery. And one of the unique features of our program is our gender surgery fellowship, which started this year. So this year, we started having our first gender surgery fellow. How many hand fellows are there? One hand fellow. One hand fellow and one gender fellow? Yep. And the program is run by both orthopedic surgery department and uh, plastic surgery. And how do having those fellows there impact your training experience? So usually when you have fellows, the main concern is, oh, oh fellows are going to come still cases from residents. I think having fellows actually has done the opposite. They actually brought a lot of their experience and, you know, things that they have learned from other programs, which is amazing when they share. And the other thing is they give attending the chance to give us a lot more autonomy because they let fellows to walk us through the cases or they let us run two rooms at the same time with one attending when, you know, we have add-on cases or unexpected cases. So I think actually having fellows improved our quality of training. Uh, although I know most of the time, some of the programs are hesitant to have fellows because they think fellows might affect residence training. I think it, it was exactly the opposite and it actually really, really helped. So it sounds like they play a role in resident autonomy. Can you go into a little bit more about, you know, how your program manages resident autonomy over the years? 
So as you grow through your residency program, you get more and more autonomy. Usually the majority of the autonomy starts as, you know, at end of the fourth year and it gets better and more throughout your fifth and sixth year. We have some cases that attending wants you to, as a senior resident, to take a junior resident through and uh, walk them through the, the case. That's something that happens. We have some trauma cases that we kind of like discuss the plan with the attending and come up with a plan. And then it's mostly done by the residents under supervision of the attending. So that gives some autonomy to residents. We have resident clinic, which is totally run by, by residents and offers discount to patients and uh, staff who want to get their treatment as resident clinic. It's either injectables like, you know, Botox and fillers, or if they want to do cases like a few months ago, our chief residents, the six-year residents had their own cosmetic cases, body contouring cases, and they just did it by themselves. So I think it is a great deal of autonomy whenever it's due and uh, whenever, you know, attendings feel confident that residents can do cases safely. Can you tell me a little bit more about the resident clinic? So I think I started uh, being a part of the resident clinic as a fourth year. So we usually start uh, signing residents to do resident clinic as a fourth year residents. They usually start with, you know, Botox injections and then fifth year and sixth year are a little bit more actively involved. They also do Botox and fillers if they come and also fifth year and sixth year residents, if they have cases to book, they can book their own cases. So it starts as four and then it kind of like grows through your residency to the end of your residency. And can you tell me what a bit about what call is like? So we take home calls and by that we are required to live within an hour driving from OHSU. There are, you know, really nice places to live around the campus and be close by OHSU. I actually live like a couple of blocks from the tram. So whenever I'm on call, if I need to, to go in, if I get called in, if the tram is running, it takes me probably 15 minutes. And if I have to drive, basically takes the same. So we take home calls. So interns don't take call. Second year and third year, you take first call with a senior resident as a fourth year you take either solo call or a backup call. At the end of the third year, probably, you know, around end of May, early June, July, before July starts as a fourth year, third years start to take their own calls to kind of like be ready with enough support, you know, if they need to. As a fifth year and a sixth year, you take either mainly backup calls or sometimes solo calls. It is hand call or face call. It's very, very rare that you take both hand call and face call at the same time. So it's either of those because we share call with um, ENT and OMFS for face and we share call with um, orthopedic surgery for hands. That's basically it. I don't know if you have any more specific questions about calls, but that's it. You know, you said you take home call. Would you say like every time you're on call, you do end up going in or kind of how busy does call tend to be? It really, it really varies. It, you know, there, there are times I remember as a fourth year, there were times that every, every time I was on call, something was happening, something kind of disastrous was happening. 
It really depends on the, the city mood, like <laughs> what people are up to. If the weather is nice and people have their saws out and then they start like, you know, uh, going crazy with their table saws, then yeah, you're going to get, you know, hand replants. If it's raining and it's gloomy and it's, you know, Super Bowl, people are like staying home. Hopefully they don't do anything unsafe. It really worries. There have been definitely there have been uh, many days that I'd never even got a page. And it was really surprising. I would like wake up in the middle of night, like anxious if my pager is dead. But there are times that, you know, you get a fair amount of consults. The good thing is you always have support from your friends and your colleagues. So if it gets like really crazy, you can always reach out and say, hey, like this is what's happening. And another thing is majority of our calls are not really emergency. You know, there are a few hand emergencies like FTS and replants or some, you know, orbital floor fracture with entrapments, this kind of stuff that are really emergency. Otherwise, if you get, you get a lot of calls, you can always kind of like prioritize and, you know, face out things and do more emergency things first and come back and take care of the rest. So it's definitely been days or weekends that been really busy, but it's never been like overwhelming. And what's the mid-level support like? So we have NPs and uh, PAs. The majority of our post-op patients are seen by our NPs and PAs in clinic and also, they help with some of the patients on the floor. Our gender-affirming surgery program has PA that really helps with that patient population whenever we need something, either, you know, day of the surgery to kind of like help with the surgical flow or for the pre-op and also for their post-op, you know, as well as if they need any help on the floor. Uh, we also have mid-level for craniofacial that does the same thing. I would say most of the help comes from, you know, seeing the post-op patients and get them ready for pre-op. And is there any opportunity to take electives? Yeah, there are definitely. So we have uh, elective month as a fifth year. I think elective, we added one as a fourth year. So we have the opportunity to do elective. We can either do it at the institution or we can go to the private practices, you know, in the state of Oregon, or you can go visit other institutions across the country. There is an opportunity for international electives, but those electives based on OHSU policy, those rotations need to be visited by a faculty prior to your application. So that's a little bit of rougher road to, to get to, but we have had residents who have done that before. And for out-of-state rotations, there are some states that OHSU is a little bit less comfortable with residents going because of liability issues with those states. But overall, there are a fair amount of places that you can go. And uh, you have the, the elective month to plan ahead and do whatever you want to do, kind of like get a little bit more focused on what is your interest towards the end of your residency so you can get a little bit more experience. And is that one month in the fourth year and one month in the fifth year? Yeah, it is. And I'll, of course, like anything else, you know, it's the planning of the elective in the past couple of years has, or past year has been 
affected by COVID. So most of residents tend to stay in the state of Oregon because that's easier because, you know, you only have to deal with one state restrictions versus like traveling and then one state, you know, restrictions does not match with what's going on in Oregon. So again, like anything else, it's been, it's been different compared to previous years. You mentioned kind of those like longer global electives need to be approved. And that sounds like that can be a bit of a tricky process. But is there also any opportunities for like shorter term international experiences? So those electives are a month. So they're not like really long. They're still like, I would call them still short term. Some of our attendings have visited some institutions outside the U.S. So we have those options if you want to apply. But I would say this year, no one even attempted because because of COVID, you can't even get out. So it's not worth even wasting your time planning something that's not doable. I'm sure when things are back to normal, future residents, maybe a year from now, will start working on that. We have residents with uh, global health interest. A few days ago, actually, we had a journal club. We were talking about some areas of need for global health in cleft palate, cleft lip care. So there are places that our attendings have been to and it's growing. But right now, everything is is kind of like suspended because of COVID. Can you tell me a bit more about where you learn cosmetics? Some of our attendings do cosmetic surgery up the hill on the main campus because, you know, as a university, we usually get the most complicated um, patients with the most comorbidities that no one else wants to operate. We also get this really great experience as a fifth and a sixth year resident. As a fifth year, you have one month of cosmetics. And as a sixth year, you have two months where you get off campus, you go to private practices. Right now, we have four active off-campus OHSU-affiliated cosmetic surgeons who run their own practices, and they do everything. One of them does a lot of facelifts and blefts and rhinos. The other one does facelifts and body contouring. The other one is an aquaplastic surgeon and does a lot of upper lower blefts and eyelid reconstruction. And another one does basically everything. And he runs his amazing practice, which is out of Portland. And we usually go stay with them for a week uh, at their place. So you basically live with them. And that's a great opportunity because they run a great practice. So you get to talk to them about not just plastic surgery, but also about the business side of plastic surgery and how you run your practice and what you need to do and lessons that you don't learn on a formal lecture, but you learn, you know, when you're eating breakfast and having a cup of coffee or you're going for a, for a short walk. So our cosmetic month is, is very valuable. Um, I did mine last December. I'm already looking forward to the next year to do another couple of months of that because it was a great uh, learning experience. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about the gender experience that you've alluded to a few times. So I think, not that I've rotated at every plastic surgery program in the country, but I think OHSU probably has one of the strongest gender-affirming programs in the country. 
Our volume is incredible. And I will give you examples. We have two attending who do gender affirming surgeries, Dr. Juliana Hansen, who is the chief of our division, does gender surgery, mainly top surgery. And Dr. Barely, who is a program director, he does everything. He also is the program director for the gender surgery fellowship. So he does uh, all stages of phalloplasty, facial feminization, and top surgery. We were talking to an applicant who was applying to our gender fellowship. And he was like, yeah, we, you know, we do two, three top surgeries a year. And I had done three top surgeries that same day. So we do a fair amount of top surgery and phalloplasty. We did a phalloplasty two weeks ago. We have another one this week. We have months that we do one phalloplasty a week, but it can be like a couple, couple of phalloplasties a month to like four phalloplasties a week, a, a month. And a lot of top surgery, a lot of facial feminization. I think also some of the, you know, experience on the facial cosmetics for people who are interested can be gained through facial feminization. I know that the whole concept is different and facial feminization is not a cosmetic surgery, but the basics and the principles kind of like are the same for people who want to learn those kind of surgeries. So that really helps. So I think... If anyone is interested in gender affirming surgery, OHSU offers probably, if not the best, one of the best programs um, and opportunities for residency. And can you tell me a bit about the research experience at OHSU? At OHSU, we do not have um, a research year, but we have a lot of you know, opportunity to, to do research, mainly clinical research. So there are some attending who run their own research groups. Dr. Barely runs the gender surgery research group. Dr. Nada, who is our microsurgeon and uh, director of the lymphedema program. She has her lymphedema research group. Dr. Solomon and Dr. Lipiro are hand surgeons. They have their own hand surgery group. And Dr. Howell and Dr. Ovinelli, our craniofacial surgeons, have craniofacial database. Dr. Lapierre also has some uh, research projects related to the VA because he also operates at the VA. And um, our other attendings, Dr. Hansen and Dr. Chang and Dr. Mueller, they also have their own research projects. So we have uh, ongoing projects that residents work on. Students who are interested in plastic surgery also um, are very involved and involved and they usually publish a lot of papers with each group that they're kind of interested in. Every year we have this research symposium that we present our projects at the end of the year. And throughout the year, we also have some follow-up meetings at the grand round about where the projects are and how much progress people have made. Also, some of our residents have some collaboration with uh, with general surgeons on topics that are related to plastic surgery either on you know pre-op nutrition preparation of the patients or pre-op rehabilitation of the patients or other topics that are related to plastic surgery you can also use the potential of general surgery 
attending to, to do your research. And what kind of support is available either while you're working on your projects or once you're ready to present? Once you're working your project, obviously you get mentorship from your attending. But if you need help with uh, biostats, we have staff that can help with biostats. If you need statisticians, they're available to do that. Some of our attendings have some grants they can support if you need to to have some expenses related to the research project. And also, whenever you have to present a paper or an abstract, you get reimbursed for the meetings that you presented. Is there any limit on how many conferences you can go to in a year or anything like that? There is a limit on the budget which I'm not sure how much is it because whatever I've submitted this year got reimbursed. And this year, you know, meetings have not been that expensive because all of them were virtual. So all, you know, you had to pay was just for submission fee. I I can't think of any problem with getting financial support for a meeting or I can't think of anyone who could have gone to a meeting and didn't go because of the financial problem. So you get enough support that can definitely help you present all the hard work that you've done. And are there any particularly awesome perks about your program you'd like to share? We get reimbursed for for the expense that you pay for your loops around like $500. I think if uh, it was at my time, I'm not sure if that's changed. And we also get 250 a month for food, which I would say Ochishu actually has really good variety of food and cafeterias. So that's something that really helps residents to get through the month without having extra expense at work. And also, I think something unique about Ochishu is that we have this uh, residence union that's been uh, negotiating with Ochishu, and I can't disclose any of the contract parts of this this negotiation because I'm not sure if it's finalized or I'm allowed to, but they're working on even improving this this kind of financial, social, and anything, you know, residency-related support that we need to, to have. So that's something that is still a work in progress, but yeah, we get those kind of support. You also, if you work over time, you get a few rides, free rides from hospital to where you live if you work overtime and you have not been prepared. So like I don't drive to work. I use tram and tram closes at 9.30. So if I end up for any reason, I end up being at hospital later, then I have that option. Something that's cute, but it's not, I mean, it's not a lot of money, but still cute is that if you walk to work or if you bike to work, OH issue pays you a dollar and fifty cents a day. So you have an app. Every time you walk, you just click I walked. I didn't use my car. And it shows you how much carbon you did not emit to, to the environment and how much you helped the, the environment and then also gives you a dollar and a half bonus. So it's forty-five, I mean a little bit less because it weekends don't count, but it's around like twenty something a month. So I think it's it's more interesting in the way that it shows appreciation of living green in Portland than just the money itself. So I think that's a very unique thing. 
And what area of plastic surgery would you say that residents come out with the strongest experience in? It's hard to say because I think we really get a fair amount of exposure to everything. When I was a fourth year, I was a little bit worried about our cosmetic exposure. And everyone told me, just relax, it's going to get better as a fifth and sixth year. And um, I really, really believe that now that I've done my month of cosmetic rotation and I have two other rotations next year. But I mean, we do a lot of hand cases. We do a lot of gender affirming surgeries. We do a lot of complex reconstructive cases, microsurgeries, and uh, different sorts of flaps. We do a lot of craniofacial cases, clefts and craniosynostosis. It's really hard. I think if I want to compare to other programs, I would say we get exposure to everything. But if I want to say residents at OHSU are equal in everything, but better than something, I would say probably it's microsurgery and gender affirming surgery because we do a really large volume and residents are very hands-on in those, those cases. But it doesn't mean that they don't get enough exposure to others. I think these two are kind of like these two stand out compared to other programs. And how would you improve your program? That's a great question. How would we improve our program? Um, I think Ochishiv Plastic Surgery has done a lot to get where it is right now. When I talk to my co-residents who started three years or two years before I started, the program only had four attending. So from having four attending to having nine attending in five years or less, three or four years, and from having only two residents to getting basically two and a half residents every year, I think these are really big inf- improvements. And it's not just the numbers. You have to have the infrastructures. You have to have enough cases to keep every attending busy. So these are, uh, I think, compared to probably five years ago, which issue has grown significantly. One thing that I forgot to mention that's really unique is the lymphedema surgery that our program does. And we started doing lymphedema surgery. As I mentioned, Dr. Nada is is the director of that surgery. That's another unique thing to our program because we get to operate under super microscope and work with super micro instruments. To improve, I would say probably something that would be work in progress is to increase the years of plastic surgery for the junior residents. I think that's something that would probably happen as the, as the next step in the future. You've mentioned them briefly, but I'd love it if you could tell me more about your PD and your chief. Chief of the, the division of plastic surgery is Dr. Hansen, who has been at this job for more than 20 years. Dr. Hansen does basically general plastic surgery, reconstructive surgery, and gender affirming, mainly top surgery. The program director is Dr. Barely. Dr. Barely was graduated at Hopkins and started working at OHS as a program director. His focus is gender affirming surgery, as I told you. He is very research oriented, runs multiple projects at the same time. And our associate program director is Dr. Howell. She's a craniofacial surgeon, 
She has done an ENT residency, a plastic surgery residency, and craniofacial fellowship. She works closely with Dr. Barely to run the program. One thing that I really love about our chief of the division, program director, and associate program director, basically people who run the program, is they're very approachable. So, and they really care about what's going on in the program. And it's something that really has helped us as, as residents throughout the program whenever we need it, or even times that we really didn't need, but, you know, they approach and ask you about what can be done and what can be done differently and things that can improve. So you're constantly working to make this program a better program. Do you have any specific examples about times that you or another resident brought something up and then it, how they responded? Yeah, I mean, I do have examples. I can't give you like very specifics because of confidentiality. But right now I'm thinking about one time that I raised a problem and I was approached by both program director and, and uh, chief. And they actively followed up and uh, there was another issue that they followed up. They are very open. Residents are very comfortable bringing up issues and uh, discussing. They have been very responsive and um, done a great job following things up. What kind of a role do residents play in department decision making? So things like picking new residents or hiring new faculty? When it comes to picking new residents um, and hiring new faculties, uh, residents are actively involved. So this year, I'm going to give you an example. So this year, everything was virtual, right? And we as 50 residents had a separate room and we had our interview with our applicants. We came up with our style of interview. We didn't have any comments or anything from faculties, you know, just totally a free decision of uh, how we should interview our applicants. And then after the interview was done, the committee for ranking, we uh, as 50 residents were also a part of that. So we, we also raised our concerns or brought up our comments and kind of like actively were involved in the ranking of the residents and, and interviewing the residents. We also, uh, whenever there is an, a new faculty for hiring residents are also being involved you know either the faculty is brought to have like an interview with residents or have like a very friendly chat with residents either a presentation or a dinner you know even during the residency whenever something happens fifth and sixth year residents are always involved in in decision making and relaying the messages to the chief or the program director. So residents are actively involved in, in the process. We usually have a meeting, like pre-chief residents have a meeting with the program director around end of February, early March to plan the next year and also discuss their point of view about, you know, what can be done differently and what changes they want to bring when they become chief. And then we will have enough time to kind of like work on those before the new um, academic year starts. Now, can you tell me about the relationships amongst the residents? So the relationship amongst residents, I would say it's really unique. We have a very 
friendly relationship between our residents. I know probably every program has some sort of that kind of relationship, but I would say the amount of support that we get as junior residents or from our more senior residents, as senior residents from, you know, attending, it's really, really amazing. I never forget when I started here as a third year resident, the support that I got from fifth year and sixth year residents was overwhelming. Whenever there is work, it gets done. It It's not just your work as the intern or as a junior resident, it's the teamwork and everyone just takes a part of it and start working on it and get things done. Whenever you're on call, everyone keeps asking if you need anything or if there is anything they can help. I feel like the amount of support in the culture is unique. And uh, that's something I've talked to all the applicants this year we interviewed. I always tell them, no matter where you do your residency, you will become a plastic surgeon and most likely you'll become a good plastic surgeon. But these years of residency are the best years of your life. And you want to go somewhere that you feel being supported, being welcomed and feel like you're being among your, your friends. And I know this year has been tough because we haven't had that much of a social interactions as residents as we used to have, but it's still, I think that even it made it even more important that the, the support, you know, when we work is even more crucial, essential to make this residency more fun and not something that looks like an, a, a really rough work. And what are some qualities of a person that would fit well in your residency? I think it's very personal. Like person that I would love to work with is different from someone that you might like to work with. But overall, I think if I'm going to pick someone, I really want someone who is a good team player, who is not afraid of, you know, just reaching out and say, hey, I'm free, I can help. And as, at the same time, he's not afraid of saying, hey, I'm overwhelmed, I need help. I, I think team being a team player is not just offering help, it's sometimes asking for help. I think that's really important. And I would say, you know, it's like, you know, real life. We live together for many years. I think honesty is, is really important. If you cannot trust someone in your friendship, you cannot trust them when they're seeing a patient, when they're writing a note, when there's staffing a consult with you. So I would say if you are a good team player and if you're honest, you fit this program, you're already a hard worker. If you've not worked hard, then you're not going to get, you know, to the point that you can actually get an interview for plastic surgery. That's very important. But I think these are the main qualities I think I would look for when I'm um, interviewing a residents. So now I'd like to hear about how residents live in Portland. Uh, so do most own or rent? Let's see. I would say probably the most, the most of residents rent. I would have bought a house if I had started my residency from the beginning, because usually, you know, you, you want to buy a home when you stay somewhere more than five years. But I didn't do it because I don't, I didn't think it's the right decision for me. But we have residents 
who bought their houses as either as an intern or as second year or third year. So, you know, there are people who bought their houses and residents who, who are renting. And it sounds like you live pretty close to your main site, but what's kind of the spread of where residents live? I would say some residents live pretty close by. I live very close to the hospital. One of my classmates lives actually across the street. We used to be next door neighbors. He now lives across the street. And the rest of the residents live, you know, roughly like 20 minute driving or less. Some of the residents bike to work every day. So it's uh, kind of like w- within that distance range that you can either bike within, you know, 20 minutes or you can drive 10 to 20 minutes from where you live. So it is possible to not have a car for all of the years of residency? It is, but I would say it's a little bit more comfortable because you take home call. If you're willing to stay in the hospital, I think it's reasonable. And if you live close by that you can bike, it's also comfortable. But if you live like me, if you live down the hill, walking up the hill is basically like a really steep hike. So it will take me probably 40 minutes of really steep hike. And by the time I get up the hill, I'm panting. So I don't think I can take care of a patient like that. If it's within the time that tram is working, it's amazing. Whenever a tram is working, it's not even worth taking your car out of the parking. So I, I never drive my car to work unless I'm on call on a weekend. But other than that, I think if you take calls and if you don't want to sleep in the hospital, I think it's a good decision to have a car, but you also have the option to stay in the hospital overnight. And if you get called in, then you don't need to go anywhere. And then in the morning, just take the tram and go wherever you live. And what's the breakdown of residents that are single, married, and or have kids? So our first year residents, they're single. Our second year residents, one of them is married. Our third year residents, so all of them are married. One of them has two kids waiting for the third one. Our fourth year residents, one of them is married. Our fifth year residents, two of them are married. I'm the single one. Our six year residents, one of them is married and she has a really cute kid. Last year, we had three chief residents. They were all married. And each of them had two kids. Do you know much about the maternity or paternity benefits? I know that they, the residents get maternity, paternity leave. I'm not sure how long it is. I think it's about a month. I'm not 100% sure because I've never needed that. I think residents get a really good support. That's why we had all our chief residents graduated with two kids and one of our third year residents has two kids and he's going to have another cute kid soon and one of our chief residents this year she also had a kid last year i think i would say residents get really good support in terms of maternity and maternity time whenever they need and what do you like about living in Portland? I think it's easier to say, what don't you like? 
because I absolutely love Portland. I think I am not a city person, so I like living where, you know, you have access to outdoors and nature. And I think Oregon is like the best example for this. Portland is probably the greatest place for people who want to have everything. Before COVID, which I hope is going to be over soon. I hope this COVID is over soon and we go back to that. Portland is a great city for dining and it's also a great city. It's, it has really good wine and beer. So there, the variety of wine and beer in Oregon is outstanding. So great place for eating and drinking. Oregonians and spe- more specifically, Portlanders are very active. So wherever, whenever you're out, you see people riding their bikes or running around. So it's a really nice place and safe place for outdoor activities. Hiking is a big thing in Oregon and I am a big fan of hiking. So every weekend or whenever I get the chance, I go for at least a hike, if not more than that. The climate is very variable. So if you go to the West, you have the coast with beautiful little towns at the coast and the beautiful nature of the coast. If you're into skiing, you can drive an hour from Portland, you go to Mount Hood or other ski resorts and you enjoy skiing. If you're into climbing, there are multiple gorgeous mountains around Portland that you can go climb. And I've not been here very long, probably around three years, but every time I went for a hike to a new place, I came back adding at least two, three other places that I found on my way back or on my way to that place for my future hike. So my to-go list has never been shrinking. It's actually been growing, although I've been actively trying to shrink it. For people who love outdoor as well as city life, Portland is a great place to be. Well, that's pretty much everything I wanted to talk about today. Any final thoughts either on your program or on the process of choosing a residency? This is all I can think of. I don't want to be sounding that like, oh, I'm just, you know, bragging about my program, which I might be. But I'm not saying, you know, we don't have problem. Everything is perfect. I think it's, it's, if anyone tells any applicants that like, you know, our program is perfect. We don't have any problem. Everything is amazing. I think that's a red flag. Yeah. There are times that we have problems, but I think it's not about not having problem. It's about the will of solving a problem. And I've seen that in our program. I, I think. We have people who love this program like their family, and we consider this program as our family. So people really care about this family and really care about this program. I would tell residents, one of my co-residents gives residents this example that residency and interviewing is like dating. Uh, You just see something that looks really hot and you go in and it's like, oh, it's not like that. And you see something that doesn't seem that hot, but then you go on a date and I'm like, oh my God, this is fantastic. So I really like that analogy and I, now I just used it. But what I'm saying is, yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, residency is like getting into a relationship. There are some relationships that don't 
even last six years. So if you're getting into a residency, you know, stay in that residency for six years, it's probably longer than many of relationships. So you want to go somewhere that's the right place for you, that you feel like you're enjoying it. And if you see any red flags, if you see something that doesn't seem right, just listen to your heart and don't just ignore that, that gut feeling. I would say talk to people who do not have any conflict of interest. Talk to people who graduated from that program. Always look at programs and see if they have people who dropped out of the program. Talk to them why they did that. If you're really, you know, focusing on a program, you want to dig really deep into a program, these are options you have. You know, ask them about what their previous residents are doing, where they are. Ask some names. You can always find them and just send them a message and say, hey, how was the residency? Do you recommend or do you not? Because when someone is in a program, people will always think that, you know, oh, they're a part of the program. So they're, they have some conflict of interest, which is true. We all have conflict of interest when we are still within a program. But I want applicants to really think about the importance of doing a residency and where they're going to do it and how much it's important to grow. Because it's not just about learning plastic surgery. You will learn life. People who come out of hostile programs eventually become hostile people. People who come out of a friendly program will come out as surgeons who care about their patients. Their, their patients love them. And I think in every every specialty, the relationship of patients and doctors are very important. But I think that's even more important in plastic surgery because the majority of our patients really don't need us for living. They need us to live better. It's different from having cancer. If they don't see the cancer doctor, they're going to die. Let's talk about 